First John chapter 2, beginning in verse 28, says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not appeared yet. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does the practice of righteousness, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. All right, let's take a look at the word uh, this morning. We are coming up uh, to the end of the year, uh, which means uh, magazines and different organizations are starting to think about their year-end uh, awards. You get the, the person of the year, the athlete of the year. All of those are just fine. But the one that I'm really invested in is the word of the year. Well, what is going to be the word for 2023? And we kind of wait and see that. Now, I don't always remember how long they've been doing these, and I don't always remember what all the words are. But when I went back and I looked this week, there, there are some interesting words, and, and some of them I remember well, and some like, oh, yeah, that must be it. And so when I, when I looked back, one of the first ones that I, I remember uh, was 1992 and and. And I don't know how great this says about 1992, uh, but, but 1992, the word for the year was not. Do, do, do you remember that season? 1992 was particularly obnoxious, I, I think. Not. Uh, it, you know, that, that, that's how we kind of rolled off of that. The next one that I thought that was really interesting was 1995. Now, they kind of stretched the definition of word of the year because in 1995, the word for the year was the World Wide Web. Like, you're not going to believe this new thing that's coming. It's the world. It's on computers and everything. Uh, it, world Wide Web. Uh, the next one that I thought was interesting was 1997 is the Millennium Bug. 
that, that there might be something coming that's going to mess us up. Uh, we're, we're worried about the millennium bug, and that kind of increased because in 1999, the word for the year was Y2K, which, by the way, isn't a word. Uh, but Y2K, and, and some of us remember Y2K really, really well because, well, the world was going to end. Uh, we, we, we were all going to be shipwrecked, and we were not going to survive. We'd never see the year uh, 2000, and, and 1999 was a, was a big year for that. Uh, 2000, the word for the year, maybe you remember this was Chad. Not, not your nephew Chad, but the, the, the one from the election results uh, in Florida, and the, the guy staring up at the thing to see whether it was for Chad. Uh, a couple other ones uh, that we look at, 2006, um, to be Plutoed. I think it's the year Pluto got kicked out of the solar system. And so that was the thing. You don't want to be Plutoed. You don't want to be given the same treatment as Pluto uh, was given. 2008, uh, we were in the middle of a big recession. The word for the year was bailout. Uh, 2017, uh, the word for the year was fake news. Anyone want to take a guess what the word for the year for 2020 was? You're right. COVID uh, was, was the word for, for 2020. Now, I don't necessarily know who gets to vote for these words of the year, and I don't necessarily know what the process to go is. But what I can tell you is that if you were to ask the Apostle John, hey, John, what do you think the word for the year should be? He would give you one answer, and that answer is abide. Abide. If you were to ask him at any year, he would say abide. He said the answer is abide for every year, for every day. Abide is the word. In fact, he's so committed to that that the word abide appears in the New Testament 29 times. John is the one who wrote it down 27 of those times. And in fact, half of those times are here in 1 John chapter 2 and chapter 3. It's a really big deal word. In fact, it really has a rich theological, biblical history to it as well. At least the concept does. Because the first time John meets Jesus, he asks Jesus, where are you staying? And he asks them, not, not because he's looking for a travel recommendation, but because he wants to be where Jesus is. A little bit later in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells the disciples, I'm leaving. And you can feel it come across the page where these disciples panicked. You could see the blood just absolutely disappear from their faces. They had invested their entire lives into being with Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, I'm planning to leave. And then in John chapter 14, he says, but I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may also be. And then in John chapter 15, Jesus begins to talk about this idea that we are going to be connected and that you can abide in me and I will abide in you. This idea of abiding, being with is so critical. It is central to what we determine, or what we describe as being a disciple. A disciple is a person who joyfully pursues the patterns, the priority, and the purpose of Jesus. Why do we pursue the patterns, priorities, and purpose of Jesus? Because that's where Jesus is. We want to be as connected to Jesus' stuff as we possibly can. 
Last Sunday, I told the story about when Susan and I were dating in college, and I would walk her to class. No matter where her class was or how far away her class was from where my class was going to be, because what I wanted more than anything was to abide with her, to be with her. In the story of Ruth in the Old Testament, Naomi says to her two daughter-in-laws after her sons die, I'm going back home. You, you stay where you are. You reconnect with your family. You marry new husbands. You have a life here. I'm leaving. I'm going back home to my people. And the two daughters-in-law begged to go with her. And finally, one of the daughter-in-law says to her, Naomi, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Because your people are my people. And your home is my home. And your life is my life. And your faith is my faith. And your God is my faith. And she said, no matter what, I want to abide with you and be with you. Hey, John, what's the most important word that we could know? Abide. 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 The key, the heart of our faith is drawing close to Jesus. So in this passage of Scripture, he begins by talking about abiding. And I want you to notice a handful of things in this passage. I want you to notice that abiding means living confidently. Abiding means that we live with confidence. We see here in verse 28 of the passage, John says that if we abide in him, when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Abiding means that we can live with confidence. Now really what he's talking about, the focus of what he's, he's drawing our attention to here is the fact that Jesus is coming back. In fact, that's what he told the disciples. That was that I go to prepare a place for you. That is after his death and after his resurrection. The disciples literally watch him ascend into heaven and he says, I am coming back. And so John passes on that word and says, Jesus is coming back. Now, when we think about those words and we think about that assignment, one of the things that we, we, we need to know is that it is a certainty. Jesus is coming back. It may be an overlooked and neglected part of our teaching and doctrine as a church sometimes, but understand Jesus is coming back in the flesh. He is returning. Jesus is coming back. Now, sometimes when we handle that question or that truth or that teaching, there develops a little bit of a, a subset of the church that pulls out some charts and some graphs and, and all kinds of spreadsheets to try to figure out exactly what day it is that he's coming back. And in fact, in our lifetime, you and I have lived through different dates in which somebody has said, this is the date. I can remember a couple of different ones. This is the date that Jesus is coming back. Whether they get specific to that gate, that, that date, there, there is kind of a hobby 
of guessing when is Jesus coming back. But, but, but I will tell you that one of the things that we didn't really emphasize in the passage last week is that last week it said we are in the last hours. Now that's interesting. He doesn't say last days. He says we are in the last hour. One of the things that John wants us to know, one of the things that he heard from Jesus is that when it comes to when is Jesus coming back, the answer to that is it could be any time. There, there is nothing standing in the way of Jesus' return. In fact, if you take a look, the vast majority of things that Jesus said about his return are a statement that says it could be any day now. You know, we're kind of looking at it with the news today and we're wondering, is this it and all that? But I will tell you that what Jesus said is that there will be wars, rumors of wars, and earthquakes. And so we think, wait a minute, that could be this week. Yeah. But I will also dare you to find two weeks in the history of mankind where there haven't been wars, rumors of wars, and earthquakes. You see, we look at it and say, oh, it must be these specific days, it must be these specific moments. What Jesus is saying, listen, it could be any time. There is nothing standing in the way of Jesus coming back right now. It could be now. This is the last hour. I don't want to tell that to the kids at Children's Church. They're really looking forward to Fall Fest this afternoon. But it could be the last hour, that's less cleanup for us. That's all. I'm not saying I get a vote, but it's, it's less cleanup. Which leads us to the question. When Jesus comes back, what do you want to be in the middle of doing? When Jesus comes back, what do you want to be in the middle of doing? Sometimes your boss walks by your desk and he looks at what's on your computer screen. He, he looks at the, the paper that, that you're working on. Do, do you want to be working on that spreadsheet? Or do you want to be checking Facebook when the boss walks by? Maybe you're a teacher and the principal sticks her head in the, in the door do you, do you want to be in the middle of your, your best lecture ever? Do you want to be sitting with some students hands-on working on something? Or, or do you want to be asleep with your head down on the desk because you had a big lunch uh, time and you fell asleep in the middle of the classroom and there are paper planes and things flying all over the place? If you're a, an athlete and the coach walks by the practice field where, where you are. Well, what do you want to be in the middle of doing when the coach shows up? I remember when I was playing soccer in high school that, that man, we would do drills, and I was trying to work my way up, and I was trying to get noticed by the coach, and I wanted to get attention from the coach, and I wanted to get playing time. And he was so busy over there, and he was over there, and he was paying attention to those people over there. But man, that moment that he walked by and he was looking at my group when we were working on drills, man, I wanted to make sure that I was nailing it in that moment. Jesus is coming back. 
What do you want to be in the middle of doing when he comes back? I want to be in the middle of abiding. I want to be in the middle of abiding. How have I done on that this week? Probably not as well as I would like to. But I hope to be doing better next week. And I hope to be doing better the week after that. I hope to be doing better the week after that. Because when Jesus comes back, I want to be able to stand there with confidence and not shirk back in shame, as the passage of Scripture says. But because I'm abiding in Him, I want to be able to stand tall in that moment. Now, I want you to understand that here and in the whole rest of the passage that we're looking at, this does not mean that your identity, your status, or your salvation in Christ is on the line. We talked about that last week. Last week, the passage of Scripture says you are anointed. You have had an experience with Him. He says that you have eternal life, and eternal life lasts for eternity. And that's the air show. That's not rumbling thunder of Jesus' return, although maybe it is. Uh, let's double-check that as well. Uh, it, it is, you have eternal life, and eternal life lasts for eternity. In this passage of Scripture, you heard Colby read it. He says, you are a child of God. Now, he, he says, as though you were a child of God, which you are. That is your status. You are a child of God in that moment. Nothing is taking that away. You belong to him. Abiding means living with confidence. But I would also say that abiding means living differently. Uh, abiding means living differently. There's a contrast in this passage. I hope that you heard it when we, when we read it. But it's a contrast between practicing righteousness and practicing lawlessness, practicing unrighteousness. It says here, those who keep on sinning. Well, what are we talking about here? What we're talking about here is this, this difference between righteousness and unrighteousness, between righteousness and lawlessness about those who keep on sinning. What is it that we mean? What is it that the text means when we talk about sin? Well, I'm glad you asked. The passage tells us four different things about sin. One, it says that sin is lawlessness. Chapter 3 and verse 4, it says sin is lawlessness. You can just underline that. It's right there in the text. Nothing fancy. It says sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness simply means whatever I feel like. I do whatever I feel like. Now, it's, it's a funny moment. You can look in the mirror and say to yourself, I'm going to do whatever I feel like. In fact, you, you can kind of have some self-talk about that and say, you know what, when this come, situation comes or under these circumstances or because of this and because I deserve this, I'm going to do whatever I feel like. 
And the words just kind of roll off of our tongue. And in fact, the more that we say it, it actually sounds pretty good. I'm going to do whatever I feel like. And in fact, if you say it to a crowd of people and they, they you kind of tell your story and say, you know what, and so therefore I've decided I'm going to do whatever I feel like. And people will support you and say, yay, that's the spirit, that's the kind of freedom that we need to have. Whatever you feel like. I hear that. I have a temptation to stand in front of my own mirror and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do whatever I feel like. Man, it sounds good. But I'll tell you that some of the deepest hurts, some of the most messed up places in our lives, is because someone else decided to just do whatever they felt like doing. Some of the places where we are most wounded, some of the places where we have wounded somebody else, is because we picked up this flag and we waved it and said, I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing. And it sounds great. But most of the time while we're waving that flag, we're smacking people upside the head. And we're leaving wounds. That's, that's part of what lawlessness does. And that's just the vertical. That's just our peer relationships. Last week we spent time talking about what does it mean to be saved. It means that Jesus is not just your Savior, but He's your Lord. We don't just live under His grace, but we live under His authority. We say that He is in charge of our lives. So if whatever I feel like does damage like this, what do you think whatever I feel like does to a relationship where we have voluntarily said, I will live under your authority and for you to be in charge of my life? Sin does that kind of damage. The passage also tells us in chapter 3 and verse 8, that, that sin, uh, this is going to sound like old school, but it, it says it right there on the page. Sin is the work of the devil. Sin is the work of the devil. He, he invented it. He's been doing it from the beginning. That's his kingdom. That's his rule. Here's the irony. Sometimes we're offended. Like, you know what? Who is God to tell me what to do? I'm going to do whatever I feel like. Well, the funny thing is, and maybe it's not really funny, but the, 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 the thing is, is that when, when we say, I don't want to be under the authority of God, I want to do whatever I feel like, you know whose authority we put ourselves under? Sin is the realm and the authority of Satan. Chapter 3, verse 8 also tells us that Jesus came to defeat sin. That's the whole reason that he came. That spirit of whatever I feel like. Jesus came. Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us. Jesus poured himself out here. Jesus did miracles. Jesus did teaching. Jesus gave up his life. So that sin could be defeated. Sin is what separates us from God. 
And one of the things about abiding is that there is a difference in how we live. Am I going to abide and pursue righteousness? Or am I going to practice lawlessness, keep on sinning so that I can wave that whatever I want flag, found myself attached to the work of the evil one and be extending the very thing that Jesus died to defeat. There is a difference. And there is a calling on our lives to live differently. Jesus is righteousness. He is light. There's no darkness in him. And we are so used to trying to find a balance inside of the gray where we don't stick out as some strange person that we burrow ourselves into grayness. But Jesus came to move us into the light and to live differently because of who he is. Abiding means that we live differently and then I'll tell you that abiding means that we're moving in the right direction. That we are moving in the right direction. You ever find yourself, maybe you're in a hurry, maybe you're, you're running late, you're much further behind schedule than you intended to be, and, and, and you've got to go someplace, and the first thing that happens when you get there is you've got to stand in line. And what makes it worse is that there, there's actually three or four lines that, that look identical. And the lines are so long, you, you can't even see what the front of the line is. So you've got to make a choice about getting in a line. You want to find the line that's shortest. You want to find the line that's moving. And so you get into that line, and I don't know if you're like me, but, but as soon as I get into a line, I look to see who the last person was that, that I would have been if I had chosen one of the other lines. Anybody else do that? I, I want to make sure that... The, that but they always beat me every single time. And I said, man, if I'd gotten in that other line, man, I should have gotten in, in that line over there. But, but as we get in that line, we, we are making progress to the front of the line. Maybe, maybe it's slow. Maybe it's quick. You know what the worst case scenario in that is? You get to the front of the line and say, oh, no, no, that, that's the wrong line. You were, you were supposed to be in that line over there. The line was so long you couldn't know. You just got in the line. You've been moving forward. You've been making progress. You were better because you were faster than that guy over there. But then you get to the front of the line. It was the wrong line. The passage of Scripture says that we are either practicing righteousness or we're practicing lawlessness. This does not mean you sin one time or you do something right one time. This is the trend of your life. What is the direction that your life is going? Early on, the church tried to debate and understand what happens when a believer in Jesus sins. 
Is there forgiveness? And one guy said, well, you know what? You, you get one big forgiven. Uh, probably it's because he just did something wrong in that moment. You know what? One. Jesus forgives. Jesus forgives. But there's this question of where does our life go? Am I going to be a person who keeps on sinning? I know that it's wrong, and I just keep plowing ahead. I keep practicing righteousness, practicing unrighteousness. Are you in the right line, moving toward the right goal? What is it that you're practicing? Jesus came so that we might not sin. He said it last week. He said it the week before. He says it this week. The reason that he came is so that you and I would not sin. That's his goal. And he says, but if you do sin, confess it and I will forgive it. That's how we move in the right direction. We don't sin. And when we do, we confess it, and He will forgive us so that we can keep moving in the right direction. Can I tell you about that direction? It's my favorite thing in this whole passage. It's chapter two, or chapter 3 and verse 2. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And here it is. Are you ready? And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. He says, don't sin. If you do sin, confess it and I will forgive it. And he says, and I want to transform your life in a way that you can't even imagine. So that when he comes back, you and Jesus will be twins. You'll be just like him. That's what he wants to do in your life. Is that the direction that you're moving today? What is it that you're practicing today? I'm not saying that you have a perfect week, but I'm saying what is the direction that your life is moving because we can say, I'm with Jesus. But if our feet are planted over here, we're moving in the wrong direction. I've got to move my life more in this direction. So what does this mean for us uh, this morning? Well, there, there's actually a much shorter version of this sermon I could have preached. Now I tell you. The, the, the shorter version of the sermon is this. You are loved by God. And you're called to be a saint. You are loved by God. He says, He loves you like children. Because He loves you, you are His children. Now, already, you are His children. But now He says, I want to transform you. I want you to be changed. I want you to be increasing in holiness. I want you to be set apart for Him. 
the message of this church to every person that we meet is you are loved by God. We, we want folks to hear that all afternoon this afternoon. We want them to hear you are loved by God. The missions committee is getting ready to hand out some bags to you in a few weeks that are, that are kits for some homeless folks and the bag says on it, you are loved by God. But the second part of that message is that you are called to be a saint. You're not called to be who you used to be. You're not called to be stuck in the same place. You're not called to be an unmotivated person that just says, ah, it'll work out. You are called to have your life transformed by the Jesus who lives inside of you. That's your calling we will abide in Him. Abide in Him. We can be moving in that right direction. There was one last thing at the, at the beginning of the passage. At, at the beginning of the passage, it, it, it talked about Jesus' return and being able to stand in confidence in Jesus' return. And what we said is that if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, whether you've had a good week or a bad week, you are safe and you are secure. But, but we do need to circle back and say, that's because Christ is in you. And there's come a time in your life that you've asked Him to be the forgiver of your sins and the former of your life. You've said that you want to live under His grace and under His authority. You want Him to be your Savior and your Lord. If you've done that, you are anointed. You have eternal life. You are His child. But if you've never done that, those things are, are not true. But they can be today. All it takes is for you to put your life under His grace and His forgiveness and under His authority. I don't know what it is that's held you up from putting your life there. Maybe, maybe you didn't really believe that it was possible that he would forgive you. Well, well, but maybe, maybe you just didn't like the idea of living under his authority. You'd like to wave that flag, I'll do whatever I want. But if you will place your life under his authority, your life will be blessed. You'll be free just as the passage, the song that we sang earlier says. You are free. So I don't know what holds you back. But today, he will hear your heart if you call to him. And say, I want to live under your grace and under your authority. I want you to be my savior. I want you to be in charge of my life. I want you to rescue me and I want you to transform me.